0: Yeah. So thank you guys so much for doing that. You know, good morning. It is so good to be back with you all. For those of you that don't know, if you're new to Desert Springs, my name's Rick Eford. I had the privilege of being the senior leader here for 30 years. That was BC. Okay. Not before Christ, before Caleb. Okay. So anyway, it truly is awesome to be back with you guys today. And I'm so looking forward to it. Emily and I don't get to be here that often cause with my role as Director of Church Partnerships at Phoenix Seminary. I'm in other churches almost every Sunday and either preaching or observing or doing something to help there. And it means we can't be here with you all. But today, I'm so thrilled to be here. And it was great to be here. Last week, see 17 baptisms. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, so obviously things are trending in the right way. And I love seeing that. So it's so good to be with you this morning. I want to ask you a question, how many of you have ever played Follow the Leader? Well good, you should be well prepared for this then, please stand up. Because we're going to do a little game of Follow the Leader, come on, let's stand up, this is a participation deal, participation, whatever, okay, you don't have to say it like I do, okay, Uh, here's what we're going to do, you're standing up, that's a good start, raise your hand, your right hand, your other right hand, okay. (laughs) Now wave at me. Now I'll turn around. You can do it, I know. You need to get the blood, blood circulating, keep coming. Now turn to the person next to you and say, my name is, what's yours? Okay, good enough. Great, now, check this out. I want you to say, I'm glad you're here, but do it in Donald Duck. <laughs> do it okay you guys can sit out you're awesome give yourself a hand all right you know follow the leader is like we would call it a children's game if you look it up in the dictionary you look it up in wikipedia wherever you want to look it up that's what it'll oftentimes say it's a children's game and it's based in the innate instinct of a child to imitate what they've just heard or seen Now the difference between what I think we're going to talk about today which is not just a children's game but it's a way of life when we talk about parenting or when we talk about leading someone else, it really is a game of follow the leader but it's not a game, it's life. It's a core component, it's a best practice that we want to look into but the difference between the children's game and the game of life so to speak of follow the leader is this, in the children's game you want to get people to fail. You want to trip them up. You want to trick them. You want to get them to drop out in the game of life of follow the leader. And especially as parenting, you want people to hold on. You want them to succeed. You want them to win because it's in their best interest and it honors God as well. And this morning, we're going to look at just the fact that this innate desire of children to imitate can be used to our advantage. But we've got to be careful with it. Twelve years ago, there was a study that was published in the Yale News. So, yes, this was a study at Yale. And basically what they talked about is that you may have noticed that children tend to mimic or imitate, but they even overdo it. Here's what it says. Social psychology has long suggested that children take a monkey-see-monkey-do approach to learning. But new research being done at Yale shows infants' tendency to imitate may be so hardwired that watching an adult do something incorrectly makes it harder for the child to do it correctly. The study researchers found that three to five-year-olds actually engage in over-imitation when confronted with a new subject or challenge. Now, what does that mean? Not only do children watch us and that they want to mimic or imitate what we're doing, they will oftentimes mimic the wrong thing or they will overdo it. You know, for instance, years ago I read of a a lady and they were talking about tradition and culture and and she was saying, you know, I always noticed that my mom cut off both ends of a ham before she put it into the pot. And so I asked her, why do you do that? She said, I don't know. My mom did it. So she went to her mother, the grandmother, and said, why do you cut off both ends of the ham before you put it in the pot? She said, because my pot was too small for the ham. Now you see how things over the years you can just start passing things on, and you don't even have a clue as to why they do it. Or sometimes there are superfluous or irrelevant types of things. For instance, if you were asked a question and before you did a project, you were constant, you just didn't know it—but you'd scratch your head, and then you'd get launched into it. Then anyone watching, especially a child, might learn to scratch their head before they attempted to tackle the project. Involuntarily, we oftentimes say, uh, like, or you know, or um, those types of things. When I was in my senior year in seminary, like 150 years ago, one of my teachers, his name was Dr. Charles Ryrie, who was an eminent theologian, and we had what we disaffectionately called senior sizzle, where the whole senior class was together, and he would go through the class, and he would ask people to stand up in front of the class and talk. He would interact with them over the material we had just read came my turn. Stand up in front of the entire senior class at Dallas Seminary. Charles Ryrie, eminent theologian. I'm scared to death. Don't laugh. You would have been too. And I kept saying, I answered the question, but I kept saying, you know, you know, you know. And Dr. Ryrie said, stop, stop right there, young man. I know the question is, do you? I didn't even know I was saying that. So these are the types of things that our kids can pick up on. That's what the study at Yale is talking about. And so we need to be careful with this. In the scriptures, we're going to see a similar type of thing. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me. We're still playing, follow the leader. Turn with me in your Bible or on your digital device to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's toward the first of the Bible. So you can look that up, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now these are words that Moses wrote under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to the nation of Israel after they had come out from Egypt and before they went into what we would call the promised land. And so he's giving them directions on how to live once they get into the promised land and what they should be teaching to their children. And these are great statements, so I'm just going to read it. You can follow along or listen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, keep them all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you arise. Friends, this is a reading of the word of God. Moses penned it, but the spirit of God directed him to write that for God's glory and and for helpfulness to us. Now there are a couple observations I want to make from this passage and I'm going to jump to some of the ones in the Newer Testament as well. The first thing that we want to look at from this passage is this. It's a question I would just ask if I was observing the text and ask you to do. What is it that we should teach our children? I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a long grocery list of what we need to teach our children, right? But what is it that we need to be teaching our children that would both honor God and be helpful for them? Well, here's what I would say the summary answer is this. Love God and live according to his word. Can you handle that? Love God and live according to his word. Did you hear that in this passage? So you know, I'm not coming up with this stuff. That's way above my pay grade, right? Love God and live according to his word. That's what obey means. Well, that's what is going on here. You know how many laws there are in the Older Testament? 613. Now, I didn't count them. According to the third century rabbinical teaching and ever since then, it's 613 different commands or laws. There are 365 negative ones, one for every day of the week. And there's 248 positive ones, including love God and love one another, 613. Now, I'd have a hard time keeping all those. How about you? You don't have to answer, I know you would. Because you and I can't even keep the ten that are laid down. In the chapter before, in Deuteronomy 5 or in Exodus 20, you know they're called the Ten Commandments. And so we can't even keep those. And so it's frustrating to say the least. Now, I love the fact that Moses summarizes it in verse 4. What does he say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Now, there is a component of fear the Lord that was said earlier. You shall teach them to fear the Lord. But that's not to cower. It's not to be afraid of God. It is to be respectful of God. It's to honor God that he is God and we are not. And the whole dimension is you want to revere God. You want to honor him. You want to worship God. He alone is worthy of our worship and praise among all others that's what it means to fear god that's why the book of proverbs a book of wisdom says the beginning of wisdom not knowledge the beginning of wisdom which is knowledge that's applied to life is to fear god and keep his commandments it's exactly what's being said here but the motivation for that is love the lord your god with all of your heart all of your soul all of your might moses summarizes it say look that's the bottom line that's the foundation Jesus came along later in chapter 22 of Matthew and other places. And he was asked by some Pharisees, by people who were legal experts who wanted to to trip him up. Okay, master. Okay, rabbi. Okay, teacher. What is the greatest of all of the commandments? Which is the greatest of all 613 commandments? Now, whatever he said, they were going to come back with something else. They were trying to paint him into a corner. What did Jesus say in Matthew 22? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And a second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said this. He said, on these two commandments hang or depend all of the law and the prophets. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are about honoring God, loving God. The last six are about how to honor and love people. That's a summary. Can we hang on to that? What do we want to teach our children? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and live according to his commandments in honoring him and in loving people who are created in his image. Whether they're like you or not, whether they're for you or against you, whether they're the same faith, position, or not, love people in the same way God has loved us. Love God, love one another, and keep his commandments. That's what we're to teach them. Now, second question, how do we teach them? If that's the objective, if that's the goal, if that's the target, how do we go about teaching them? Well, the text here in verse 7 tells us, and I'm going to summarize it in this way. Teaching is a lifestyle, not a lecture. You hanging with me on that? Teaching is a lifestyle, not a lecture. It's not because I said so. And I don't care if that's children or I don't care if it's spiritual children. People we're seeking to disciple, these things are true. Anytime we're trying to influence and lead someone to a place they wouldn't go on their own, we're, we should be doing this. Teaching its a lifestyle, not a lecture. Where do you get that, Rick? I'm glad you asked. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise and that's not an exhaustive list what's it saying what's Moses saying what's God saying through Moses look this is a way of life this is not child rearing 101 the grace teachable moments are just a part of the expression of life It might be in the morning when you get up. It may be at night when you lie down. It may be when you go out of the house. It may be while you're in the house. It may be while you're at work. It may be while you're at play. It may be while you're in worship. It may be while you're in the midst of an argument. Do people see that I love Jesus and I love people? Do my children see that? Another way to put it is follow the leader, lead by example. Now, I don't see that necessarily in this passage, but I'll tell you where I do see it. I see it all the way through. First starting here, Deuteronomy six, verses one, verses two, verses through three. It says, do, keep, do. Hear the commandments, do them. Hear the commandments, keep them. You might be saying it's dooby-dooby do, -do, but that's a whole nother deal, okay? Do the commandments, keep the commandments, obey the commandments. What's he saying to the parents? Look, lead by example. It's great teaching. One of my favorite Old Testament characters is one of the ones that gets the least amount of pub, and his name is Ezra. Ezra was a scribe to Israel when they were rebuilding you know, after they had come back into the land. And in chapter 7 of the book that bears his name, Ezra, it says, The good hand of God was upon Ezra. Why? Because he purposed in his heart to study the law of God to practice its precepts and to teach its truths to Israel Did you get the picture study what's the next one practice which means do he wanted to look first to himself and say am I leading by example and then he sought to teach its precepts to Israel What does that have to do with us as parents? What does that have to do with us as spiritual mentors or as disciples or whomever? We should study the law. We should practice its principles first and then we should seek to teach others. Leading by example. It's not just by what we say. Remember, it's a lifestyle, not a lecture. The Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament By the way, this is a trick question. If anybody asks you, hey, who wrote the most of the New Testament? The answer is not Paul. It would be Luke. Because he wrote the most material in the New Testament. But Paul wrote the most books. Here are some of the things. and I'm giving you a lot of passages because I want you to see this is a common thread all the way through Scripture. Not just an isolated proof text. You tracking with me? Paul says this several times in 1 Corinthians, but notably 1 Corinthians 11. Imitate me. As I imitate Christ. In other words, follow me as I follow Christ. The stuff I'm not doing, you can let go. But when I imitate Christ, you should be following me. He said to the Thessalonians, in the book that bears that name, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, you have become imitators of us. So much so that you have become examples to all of the churches throughout the Mediterranean area. What a great commendation. You have imitated us as we imitate Christ so much so that your life is exemplary and others are following your lead. They're following your example. You get the picture? It's a lifestyle, not a lecture. Follow the leader. Follow my example as I follow Christ. To Timothy, his young protege in the faith in one of the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. But prove yourself to be an example to the flock. Pay close attention to your teaching and to your life. For as such, you will preserve the salvation for both yourself and your hearers. Lead by example. That's a picture to Timothy. Peter, another one of the apostles, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, says this, elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. Don't exercise like a a ruler oversight over them. Don't force them, but prove to be examples to the flock. You know, I'm not here a lot on Sunday mornings, but one of the things that Caleb has asked me to do is he and I get together every couple of weeks and we talk about what's going on and just debrief and talk about stuff way beyond this church and about the church and about other types of things i love that time with him but he's also asked me to work with some of the emerging leaders in this church and so one of the things we're doing now at 6 30 on monday mornings is we're going through a book called they smell like sheep now now unless you might think man what are you teaching these people they smell like sheep it's not that sheep are stinky and smelly and that's not it that they are the pastors, the shepherds. Shepherds smell like sheep, why? Because they're with sheep. They're in close proximity to the sheep. And that's one of the things that Lynn Anderson says in his book is about, you need to lead first, be character. Here's what his statement is and part of what we're looking in this book. He says this, spiritual leaders in today's church equip out of the credibility of their lives demonstrating consistency between what they say and what they do. As the old poem puts it, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather someone walk with me rather than simply point the way. And that's critical. That sense of integrity, that sense of character, that sense of leading by example, a congruence between what I say and what I do. And that's a part of what we're trying to teach leaders here, but that's what we need to teach parents too. Our kids are amazing at picking up on hypocrisy. We just have to make sure that there's congruency, there's consistency. I love Andy Stanley for a lot of reasons. In one of his books called Next Generation Leader, he talks about this. And in his book, he's talking about, he said this is something that had become a nightly routine in his family. It started several years ago when I would pray with Andrew, one of his sons, at bedtime. At the end of my prayers, I would say, Lord, give Andrew the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right, even when it's hard. And they did that every night. Before long, he assimilated that request into his bedtime prayers as well. Now, every night at bedtime, all five members of our family ask God to give us the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right, even when it's hard. He said, I do that because the day will come. When my son or my daughter will have a time that they will be challenged to know what's right and then to have the courage to do what is right. Friends, that's what we need to be looking at. Now, do you notice Andy Stanley's example of praying with his son and praying with subsequently with the other children in his family nightly? That's leadership, that's parenting. He made a hard decision some years before. Here's a guy who's very, very much in demand as a speaker, as an author, as a consultant, all these types of things, as a pastor. He made a commitment that he would leave the office every day at 4.15 in order to meet other priorities like with his family. And he went public with that and said, I'm doing this. And the public was people were able to hold him accountable. So when he was not there, when he was there after 4.15, they could say, well, what are you doing here? See, that was something hard for him to do, but he knew it was right, and he made the commitment and had the conviction to do it. He was leading by example within his family. Probably the greatest example of all of this, though, is Jesus. In John 13, Jesus, the night in which he's betrayed, takes off his robes, and he bows before his disciples and takes a basin of water, and he washes his disciples' feet. Why did he do that? Well, the text says, having loved his own, he loved them till the end. But later, after he had washed their feet, he said to them, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? If I am your master and Lord, and it's implied, and I am, this was not my place to do this, but if I, as your master and Lord, would wash your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. I have given you an example, and blessed are you if you do it. Do you get the picture? It's a lifestyle, not a lecture. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a spiritual leader, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a coach, these are things that work best because of God's direction. There's a blog by Dr. Susan Gelb, who's a psychologist and life coach in an article called 10 Ways to Become the Parent and Role Model Your Kids Need. And she says, your job as a parent is to lead by example, modeling the kind of behavior you want the kids to adopt. And the first one of those 10 is be your best. And she says, when it comes to your kids, role modeling is everything. Your children pay close attention to everything you say and do, and they imitate your words and actions. Keep in mind how easily they are influenced. Be your best. If there's nothing else you take away from that, are you trying to lead your children? You're trying to lead those that are in your charge by a lecture or by a lifestyle? Let's follow the leader. Okay, well, let's look at some ways that this might look. What about this love for God? Do your children see you spending time reading God's Word? I don't just mean at church on Sunday, but during the week. Do your children, do your spiritual protege see you taking time to pray? To pray for them, to pray with them. To pray about that test that's coming up. To pray about that thing that's bothering them, the prom. To, to pray about an athletic event, not to win, but for other things associated with it. To pray with where they are. Do you take the initiative, that's what leaders do, to pray with and for your children and husbands for your spouse and wives for your husband? That's loving God. Do they see that? Do they see it? What about in, involved in worship in church and engagement in church? I'm not just talking about legalistic, but... What do they see in the frequency in which this is a part of our lives and the attitude with which we approach it? Do our kids see in us what the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Or do they see in us, oh, good grief, we got to do that. I wish I could really be doing, I wish I could be playing golf today. I wish I could be doing this, I got work, I got to do, but we need to go to church. What do our kids see? What do they pick up from that? It's not just actions, it's attitudes. Giving, I'll be honest with you, we can teach and teach and teach about giving financially, but the most powerful influence in my life has been my mom and dad, who taught me from the time I was a small child and through the time I had a paper route, the first dime of every dollar that you get belongs to the Lord. That's a starting point, that's a baseline. I've been through seminary, I've been through training, I've been through Crown, I've been through Dave Ramsey, I've been all that stuff, but there's no more powerful influence in my life, no more formative influence than the example and the teaching of my mom and dad. And it's still with us today. What about loving others? Respectful comments where those in authority speak of whether we love, especially, and guys, I'm gonna say this to you because I see so much of it you want to be the spiritual leader in your house, how do you talk to your wife? Do you speak with her? Respect and honor? Do you speak with her in loving terms? And even when you disagree, can you disagree agreeably? Why the same thing back with you? Do you speak with terms of respect and honor and admiration and appreciation for your husband? One of the great things that happened when Emily and I first came to the valley is we stayed with a couple and, They've been mentors to us ever since. They're about 10 years further down the road than we are. We stayed with them and there was a plaque on their wall that struck because we were expecting our first child. And it said this, the greatest gift that a man can give to his children is to love their mother. What are we showing about respect of authorities when we are dissing police or teachers or coaches or other people or even politicians the way we speak of them what are we communicating to our children do you want them to be respectful our language are we careful with what we say you know the Ephesians says let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only that which is good to build up I, one of my nephews and he's a great dad he really is. He's a great dad. He's a real tall guy. He's taller than I am. He's a great dad with his kids and great husband and all this stuff. But he was doing something for the house. And he came up and he did what a lot of us have done, especially those of us that are taller. He hit his head on the lamp in the kitchen. He hit his head and he swore. Like a lot of us have done or do. His wife from the other room said, did you say something? Not because she really, she just heard him say something. He said, oh, no, 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 it's Okay. Well, a little voice comes from under the table. His four-year-old was there, said, uh-uh, you said, damn it. (laughs) Be careful. (laughs) Right? There's congruency, there's consistency. What do we teach our kids by what we model? I just got to tell you, there's so many things about this, our attitude for those that are different than we are. What do our kids pick up from what we say? Consistency is huge. Don't threaten to do something if you're not going to do it. Consistency in what we say and what we do and when we tell our kids, do they see that in us? That communicates so much. Honesty, humility, forgiveness. And I want to end with this one because it's so. None of us keeps this perfectly. There are no perfect parents, there are no perfect pastors. Because there's no perfect people apart from Jesus. Aren't you glad that, that when we stand before God, we don't come with our works? We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, who is perfect. But in the meantime, we're in process, aren't we? There's perhaps nothing more powerful. Emily and I were talking about this at breakfast yesterday. There's perhaps nothing more powerful than when you blow it. Saying to your spouse or saying to your children... I was wrong here's what I did that was wrong please forgive me for and then name it put a face to it that is so different than saying oh I'm sorry like we put a band-aid on a cancer forgiveness be tender hearted toward one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And, Newsflash, do parents ever owe their children an apology and asking forgiveness? Yes. And if you said no, you are so in denial. And we need to talk about that afterwards. Friends, I hope this is helpful to try to flesh out a bit that when we try to lead someone to a place where they need to be as a parent or as a spiritual mentor advisor it's about a lifestyle not a lecture and let's give them an example that's worth following because one of the authors that I read says this you know we talk a lot about discipline of children frankly the bigger place we should be talking about is discipline for the parents do we as parents discipline ourselves And do we allow ourselves to be held accountable? Because that's what leaders do. That's what parents do. And by God's grace, I know that's what you want to do because that's where I want to be. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I want to thank you for the truth of your word and I want to thank you for the power of your spirit to accomplish this in our lives. I love these people and I know they love me and I'm so glad to be able to be a part of this today. And There's so many great examples that I see as I've watched them for 30 years, for three decades of how to do this. And, and there's also humility to acknowledge when it's not done right. And so, Father, thank you for the example that they've been to me and for the way that they have blessed my children and Emily's children. And I just thank you for this. I pray that this congregation, you'd use the teaching on parenting that you have done over the last number of weeks and help this fellowship to have healthier families that are Christ-centered, that love God, that love one another. Father, I thank you for the great work you've done, and I thank you that you will complete it. In Jesus' name, amen.